When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? I'm Jax Hollow. You're listening to The Hook by Jay Scott. It's Jay Scott. It is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're finally off the couch after Thanksgiving and uh, getting ready for Christmas. It's only three weeks away or a little over three weeks, a little over two weeks, I think it is now. Yeah, a little over two weeks. And uh, yeah, gifts are being bought and road rage is ever present. The stresses of the holidays. Don't be too stressed out there. Listen to the Hook Rocks and some rock music and Let us be the guide to peace and serenity during this holiday season. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. So check out all my friends and buddies over there on Pantheon. We got Tom and Zeus, who just celebrated their 200th episode. Love those guys. Consider them friends. Met them this past year at Creatures Fest in Nashville. So congrats to them. They are the number one KISS podcast in the galaxy. Check out my friend Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Mistress Carrie out in Boston. Martin Popoff, the rock historian. Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek. And Vinny Apice, Carmen Apice, and Ron Anesti on the Hanging and Banging podcast. As well as some of my friends outside of Pantheon. Itch Rock and Radio Show, Pot of Thunder, Bend and Scoop, all things blues and southern rock. And we've got a co-host on the show of all things Blues and Southern Rock on this episode of The Hook Rocks tonight. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But don't forget to follow Pantheon on all social media platforms at Pantheon Pods on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, as well as their website, PantheonPodcast.com. Don't forget to search The Hook Rocks on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Search up The Hook Rocks, as well as any and all podcast platforms. 
And don't forget to set your app, your podcast app, to automatic downloads so you get the latest episode right to your phone. We've got over 400 episodes. We're approaching 450 here in the next couple of months. We've been doing this for over three years. We've had some great episodes recently. We just had Philippa from the band Thunder Mother reflecting on the tour with Scorpions, their album, Black and Gold. What a wonderful guest she was. Really enjoyed having her on. We had GA20. Great blues rock band, traditional blues rock band, who's had the number one blues album on the Billboard charts. We had my friend Fossil Man. You can follow him on Twitter at Fossil Man, talking about the rock T-shirt and his collection of 250 rock T-shirts. That's a fun episode. And we did our live album review, our quarterly live album review, with the great Judas Priest album, Unleashed in the East. Got some good things coming up here soon. Had some good concert reviews with Tyler Bryant and Blackberry Smoke. I've been busy going to a lot of shows the last couple of months. I'm supposed to be in recovery after a health issue in September, but uh, it's been a lot more fun going to rock concerts. That's my recovery. That's what's helping me, making making me feel a lot better. And got 11 shows in both October and November. Saw Blackberry Smoke, saw Tyler Bryant, saw Metallica. Butch Walker twice, True Villains out in Nashville. Oh, geez, who else have I seen? Um, Abby Kay, Pete Dankelson, and I know I'm forgetting a whole bunch, but oh, oh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Marcus King. It's been a it's been a great couple of months. So check out all those bands that we talk about here frequently. And I can't wait for 2023 because it's going to be a big year for music. There's always a lot of talk about albums coming out in the upcoming year. And we have been hearing a lot of news, whether it's Rival Sons, Joyous Wolf, Winery Dogs, and so many others. Get ready to rock and roll again in 2023, which means more great live shows, more great things for rock and roll. And we've got a great thing for you tonight for rock and roll. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, uh, I consider these two guys soldiers in the promotion of new rock music because we're both passionate about what's going on with new artists and new bands. They have a lot of new artists on their podcast, too, as well. And even though Brian can't join us tonight, um, we've got Jason. Well, I'm a little disappointed that we just have Jason, but I'm kidding. Jason's a great dude. He's part of the Groove Council. Um, this podcast is wonderful. So if you ever get tired of my voice, which I imagine most of you are, you can go check out Jason and Brian on all things blues and Southern rock. They do a great job. And I'd like to welcome Jason to the show. What's happening, man? I am doing great, Jay. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. And thank you very much for doing this. I know we did a show back in September. Yep. I believe it was end of August, early September. And I had a blast. And I, I really do enjoy your show. I enjoy your podcast. Um, I enjoy what you guys do. And uh, it's just great to have you on. Yeah, thanks. And we loved having you on. It was like a marathon conversation. It just clicked. It was great all over the place. Yeah, no, it was fun. That was a lot of fun. I, I uh, enjoyed that a lot. I have a very, I don't want to say strict way, but a very uniform way of doing these shows. And it's always nice to get into a different format because I can let loose a little bit and kind yeah. of be a little different and act a little different, you know, whether it's with you guys, whether it's with the Shout Out Loudcast guys, 
Pot of Thunder, who I have a blast with. Um, you know, it's always nice to kind of see a different format and feel a different format than what I do. And not be in charge. You're the guest. It's fun. You don't have to I do know, anything. I and I don't have to and edit. I, yeah. And you don't have to edit. You don't have to edit. So we always begin with the same first question. And that is really what we're about. Uh, by this time, it's no secret to our audience that the hook is really about what pulled you in in rock and roll. And just like every rock song has a hook that does pull you in. Every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, a band, an album, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Well, before I answer that question, which is a legendary question in the podcast industry, I love it. I love it was directed to me. I will say I'm also disappointed that I'm on here without Brian. So just so you know. Me too. <laughs> I am not offended by that. We will we will have them have you guys back on after the first of the year. Okay. So what hooked me in rock and roll? I it's not necessarily one specific thing. Uh, my parents are both music lovers, so growing up in the house, they always had music on. My mom liked things like the Beatles, big Beatles fan. My dad liked things like Clapton. Jimi Hendrix and some softer stuff like Bread, Three Dog Night. So they, there was always that type of music going on. So listening to that kind of classic rock, rock music started getting me interested in music itself. And then from there, you know, we'd go to the library and we'd rent records or, you know, take out records or whatever. I started getting into things like Weird Al Yankovic was a, was a big fan of mine. Eddie Grant, you know, Electric Avenue, all that kind of stuff that was going on in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, really sucked me in. So not one thing specifically, it was more having music and my parents listen to good classic stuff around the house that really made me love music. What was like your sweet spot after the initial interest in music? Like where did your music journey go? Yeah, Led Zeppelin. So I had a friend, his name was Jason, Jason Combs, who really started getting into music a little bit ahead of me. And he was Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Metallica. So hanging out with him, I got introduced to all these other bands and I became a huge, huge Zeppelin fan. Uh, they're either first or second for me all time list with the Black Crows, Aerosmith, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, and that's kind of, and that was about seventh grade. So that's really when things kicked off. And I'll, I'll say that Led Zeppelin was really the one thing that I just grabbed onto and loved right from the start. What was it about him that you gravitated to? The guitar work from Jimmy Page, you know, again, with Clapton and Jimi Hendrix around the house, I heard a lot of guitar stuff. So I really love Jimmy Page's riffs. Robert Plant's voice, amazing. And just the imagery of a lot of fantasy stuff, too, that they would talk about things like from The Hobbit and all these other things I really liked because I was really into like fantasy stuff at the same time, too, like fantasy movies, uh, not Dungeons and Dragons. But, you know, like um, there was 80s were great for fantasy flicks, whether it's Labyrinth or Legend with Tom Cruise and that kind of stuff. And those kind of all tied together, the riffs, the voice, the imagery and the, and the themes. I became a huge Zeppelin fan after my cousin visited from California after my junior year, I want to say. It was either going into my junior year or after my junior year. And I was a, I was a big KISS fan up until then. You know, I, I became a KISS fan when I was younger because of the faces and the imagery. And then my first album I ever bought was KISS Lick It Up and just had a fascination with the band. 
I liked a lot of other stuff, a lot of other stuff from that era of music. Rat, mm-hmm. Motley Crue. Yep. Uh, there was also the harder edge stuff or considered harder edge stuff back then, like Priest and Maiden and Ozzy. And it was a wonderful time to be a music fan because pretty much when you were in junior high and high school, most of the kids liked rock music and even pop mm-hmm. music that we didn't like back then. You know, the rockers are always like, oh, you know, Duran Duran or there's great pop music, great pop music in the 80s, man. Great pop music. And they played their own instruments, too. Yep. Right. They were they were bands. They weren't like yeah. overproduced digitalized, computerized acts, you know, that basically didn't have any talent that were propped up in a studio. They were actually like talented musicians. Debbie Gibson at 17 co-writes a number one record. 17. She wrote that herself. Yeah. And, you know, God, we've had so many discussions about TikTok and Instagram, but we'll get into that. But getting back to my point on Zeppelin, when my cousin brought this duffel bag full of bootlegs, it wasn't the studio albums. And I was familiar with yeah. Zeppelin, like Cashmere and Stairway and Black Dog and Rock and Roll, all the staples. Yeah. Right. And going back to that time in the early 90s, Led Zeppelin, it wasn't even 15 years or two decades since they had been gone. Right. And even when I was growing up and younger and hearing the songs on the radio, you know, I remember coming back from family parties and my parents listening to Cashmere would come on or whatever Led Zeppelin song. And that was like 80, 45. That was only a few years after John Bonham had passed. I didn't really yeah. understand that back then. But now I look back at it like, wow, that was that was an interesting time. And you heard They're pretty close together, too. It wasn't right. that far apart in the timeline. No. And you heard the generation before my generation, probably I would say maybe a little bit before that, like my brother was probably the generation before and then, and whatnot, but like the kids that were like in their, I shouldn't say kids. I say kids now because I'm almost 50, but in like the early to mid twenties would talk about Zeppelin a lot. Whereas the kids in high school and just before 21, you know, were into the, the glam scene in, in California and the Def Leppards and all that stuff. But what really struck a nerve for me was how just like relentless and chaotic. And it was a beautiful chaos. But when you heard these bootlegs of this band, like you never knew where the music was going to go. Because mm-hmm. that one was in one. Every album. Every album. But, but live, they were pretty much like a jam band. Absolutely. Like, you can make that argument because, I mean, they had 40-minute versions of Whole Lot of Love and, you know, 30-minute versions of Dazed and Confused. And they would do these blues medleys inside of these songs and everything. It was just wonderful. But you heard this and you just – there was just a rawness and and just no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the era that I was listening to, the Kisses and the Motley Crues, even though they had a powerful presence on stage and they had powerful songs and – great hooks and great riffs there was there wasn't that reckless abandonment of music that zeppelin had like zeppelin took the stage and i don't even think zeppelin knew what they were going to do half the time <laughs> you know well a lot of them were either too drunk or too stoned right and well that's one of the that's one of the points that plant brought up years later after you know they decided to disband after bonham died was because they were so 
used to improvising mm-hmm. with each other on stage, that bringing someone new into that, it would never have worked. It would right. have become very formulated. It would become very, you know, tight. I mean, tight's probably the wrong word, but formula is probably the best where they wouldn't be able to do what they were doing. Right. You know? and, and the fact that Bonham really followed Paige's playing instead of John Paul Jones's playing was also very unique because a lot of drummers weren't doing that. Right. A lot of drummers would follow the bass and so on. And the guitar player would be out there, but he was following what Paige was doing. So hearing that on these bootlegs, you know, whether it was live in 69, whether it was live in 77 or whatever it was, it just seemed like a true journey of music. And like any journey, you never know the path you're going to take. You're going to be switching paths and you're going to be going off in different directions. And it's really kind of a metaphor for life. And I don't want to get too deep or too philosophical, but when you hear this stuff and you hear touches of it on the album, but when you hear them live, it's just a whole different magical experience. And that's what really changed the game for me going from that period into becoming just an absolute diehard Zeppelin fan for life after that. What's so when you listen to those bootlegs, is there anything particular that stuck out to you about the music person performance thing? Wow. Well, because I've got my answer, but I want to hear yours. I think it's just the power of the, of the four. Like you hear that in the albums, right? Like you hear the power. I mean, you hear mm-hmm. rock and roll and you hear when the levee breaks and whole lot of love and all these, all these great songs, but there, there's such a, like I said before, it's, it's such a raw level because people like to call page sloppy when they hear them live. But that's so rock and roll, though, right? That's, I mean, but that's, yeah, that's what he does, man. That's, but the, it's not yeah, Joe Satriani. But it's rock and roll. Like it's, it's like rock you, and roll, right? Blues infused rock, right? Emotion. But when you hear them and you hear the bootlegs and you hear Bonham doing these fills, I mean, there's this one, I think it's live 77 or live 73 at the LA Forum. And they open up with Song Remains the Same. So, so I think it was, I think it was off the houses of the Holy Tour. So I think it was seventy three, right? Would that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah she's close enough, right? And and he's out there, and he goes out. Like I'll send you the link. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Please send it. He he. In the beginning of the song, he's just on another level, and that's probably the answer I'm going to give you. The band was that, on another level. Yeah, live. And he goes all the way out to wherever the hell he's going on these fills, <laughs> right? And you know, doing all the stuff on the drums. And you're listening, and you're like, how is he going to come back and not have this song completely go off the track? Like, how is he going to make it back? Because he is on the edge. Yeah. He'd probably be on the edge. And he brings it all the way back. And you know how Song Remains the Same breaks down in that beginning and then comes in with plants vocals and he does it and your mouth drops. I mean, I've heard this probably three dozen times, Jason, probably more hundreds of times. And every time I am like, I listen to it. Like I heard it for the first time. Yeah. It's so amazing that when people say bottom was a great drummer, he had a great pocket. Absolutely. 
But when you hear his performance live and you hear just all that he's all the stuff that he's doing and just the just the beautiful chaos that it is. Beautiful chaos. Great description. Yeah. And it's just like he brings it back and you're like, dude, I can't believe he does it. And then you got and then you fast forward to just to that part. And you're like, how does he do that? You know, it's just absolutely amazing. And then when you find out years later, after you've been listening to this bootleg and you hear that. Keith Moon was sitting on the drum riser and they were sharing whiskey together and drinking beer during the show. And he's got his buddy who is right there, who's considered one of these great drummers. And he's like, all right, all right, son, you son of a bitch. I'm going to show you what I can do. (laughs) So it's just this whole thing. But to answer your question, what was it about those live performances? It was, they were on a whole nother level than any other band then than any other band since then. And you better send me that link. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Dude, you're, I'm telling you, you'll be like, you'll be listening. And there'll be a point where like, dude, he's not going to make it back. How's he going to do this? It's going to be a train wreck. And he comes right back in right perfectly. And it's well, the like, vocals start nice and it's right. slow and soft, right? And it goes that big intro, then it's, you know, right. guitar but, and plant. But, but during that intro, he's like just wailing. And you're like, yeah. oh my God, how's he? He's not going to make it back. There's just no way. There's just no way. He's doing way too much. And then just food just smoothly goes right into it. It's just like, oh, my God. All right. That's my homework for the night. Send me the link. I will do that. So for me, what stuck out to me when I heard Led Zeppelin live for the first time is John Paul Jones. All the different things that John Paul Jones actually does that you don't know about on the album or you don't hear and appreciate, whether it's playing bass, organ, mandolin whatever that guy like what instruments being played and who's playing it? oh it's sean paul jones is doing that or you know even the background vocals that dude to me is the mvp of zeppelin and i didn't realize that or respect that until i heard live performances from him i think you're dead on on that because when we were younger john paul jones was like the afterthought yeah it was like Page, Plant, Bonham, and uh, yeah, John Paul. Other guy, three yeah, names. the other guy. You know, because he was so unassuming, yep. and he was behind the scenes doing a lot of things. But now, as we've gotten older, and I'm so glad that that has kind of turned too, because there used to be this idea that he wasn't very good, or he was, you know, he was kind of just an, like I said, an afterthought. And now, like, there's this resurgence of like. No, he was the backbone of the band. Yeah. Like without John Paul Jones, Zeppelin does not exist. They nope, just don't. Not. They don't they don't exist in the form that they that they have. No way. You know, or or no that, way, that they're known. No yeah. No. And he was the oldest. Was he the oldest or Paige the oldest? He was one of the oldest guys, like experienced session guy. I think he helped bring that stuff together and that professional focus. Because even though Paige had been doing that stuff and kind of elder statesman. A little wild. He was a little wild. I think um, John Paul Jones brought everything back. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there's even an interview or a couple of times either Pager Plant has said that John Bottom was the, or John Bottom. John Paul Jones was the best musician in the band. I 100 percent agree. And I do the Zeppelin Chronicles with Tom and Zeus and Ooh. Murph, uh, kind of like a side cast. So we released these episodes. We're going to be recording Led Zeppelin 3, the Led Zeppelin 3 episodes. Might be my favorite album of theirs. Because since I've been loving you is my favorite Zeppelin song. Tangerine. That's the way. That's the way. Oh, man. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. I I, I categorize Zeppelin, my favorite Zeppelin songs, as 
my favorite non-popular song, which is That's the Way. Yeah. And my favorite popular song is Cashmere. Okay. So I always I always kind of like classify. I'm like, well, what's your favorite Zeppelin song? I'm like, well, that's not an easy answer. <laughs> you know, because so you're a real Zeppelin fan. I got to oh, know this. Absolutely. What's the defi- what's the definitive Led Zeppelin song? The definitive Led Zeppelin song. Ooh. It's not Stairway to Heaven. I'll give you a hint. That's a tough one. Well, you already said it. I'm going to tell you my my opinion. You've already said it. I well, I I mean, I think Cashmere. To I, me, I, that's what I would say. Cashmere is is the journey, right? Is yes. really. Um, I think also you could put whole lot of love into that. Sure, but a whole lot of love is really isn't their song. They kind of made it their song. Yep. And I think another song that doesn't get enough credit because it's not a mainstream song, and that's Achilles' Last Stand. Oh, it's so good. You yeah. are truly a Zeppelin fan and forever in my heart. We, 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 are, we are one, Jason. We are one. That is a prog song and an amazing song. It came later in their career. I know when people overlooked Zeppelin and Zeppelin catalog, but that is an amazing song. And In the Light is also an amazing late Zeppelin song. In the Light is great. Uh, I love T for One. Oh, awesome. Great song. Yep. I, Have I, you heard Bonamassa do that? He covers that and does a great job. Fantastic. Fantastic song. I, you know, that's the thing is that they could do, they could do anything, that band. Yeah. That's yeah. the other thing that is, makes yes. them different from Beatles and the Stones, right? Like they could do, and... Country, could, hot dog. <laughs> the real rockabilly, they could do... Yeah, rockabilly, yeah. music with Brian Yard Stop, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, they could do a whole bunch of stuff. And when you look at their evolution from the first album to In Through the Outdoor, yep, it's like a different band at the end. Reggae, Full in the Rain, man. Well, the, look at the time change on Full in the Rain, right? Look at the time changes yep. on that. Look at uh, Jermaica, which is another yep. uh, reggae. And I used to think it was called Dire Maker. Yeah, we I think all we all did. did. We all did. But they were so just... Just there's they're they're gods that walk the earth during yeah. a during a period of time. There's been, in my opinion, no one that is equal to them. There's a lot of great bands that are out there, whether it's ACDC, whether it's Rush, whether it's whomever. But Zeppelin really set the standard for what hard rock was going to be. You know, Beals and the Stones. Beals were very experimental. Yeah. Stones were very bluesy, but Zeppelin was both in Prague and they could do anything. There wasn't anything they couldn't do. And when I hear the younger generation listening to Zeppelin, you have to think that these songs are 50 plus years old and people are still listening to it. They're bigger now than they ever were. And they haven't released an album since 1979. Nope. And they did the reunion thing in 2008, O2 arena for, um, Arma Etrian or whatever his name is. It was awesome. Old dudes, they still got after it, man. Did you watch it? Do you have it? Did you buy the? I, I have it. Yeah, I yeah. Have of it. course you do. Yeah, I told my son that if they reunite, because there was a rumor a few years ago that they were going to uh, do some festival in the UK. Mm-hmm. There was a big rumor going on, and I told my son, "I go listen. If they do this, I'm liquidating all my assets, <laughs> and, and I go, and we're both going because tickets are going to be." astronomical i said but we're going i don't care if we have to sleep in in a train station you know we're going 
and we're going to have um you know a moment father son moment and we're going to see zeppelin never transpired and i think that was my last hope of seeing them i don't think it's possible now i just don't think yeah. it is unless they did something like an acoustic set or something yeah. um, but i just don't see them and i i don't know if i want to see them now yeah i agree it isn't zeppelin without without john even though jason is a very formidable drummer but I just think that there's that element of mystique that you'll never be able to see them again, kind of like the Beatles, where it becomes kind of like a, like an, like almost like an appreciation. Like this is the greatest band of all time and we can never see them again live. They'll never perform again. So there's just something about, and that's what kind of pushes them forward, keeps pushing them yes. forward each generation. So and and you don't feel bad. You're like, oh man, those guys should have totally hung it up. Like you know, it doesn't ruin the legacy. And what you said about Zeppelin three, what's amazing about that album is that was probably their least popular of the first six albums. Like I remember being a kid. Oh, Zeppelin three is not that good. Yeah, they're like, what is this trash? It's all soft. Right, and that album has evolved in a way. That no other album, I think, has because it was panned by critics. It was panned by their fans. It had the stigma for a long time. I think the only other album that really kind of had that stigma was Presence, but Presence was on the back end of their career. Right. But now there's so much of an appreciation for those songs on that album that it's amazing to see that evolution, which I always say on this show, music keeps evolving with people. Because you experience life, you experience different things, and your ear, your mind hears things differently or feels things differently. And when you go back and listen to an album like Led Up in Three with Tangerine, and that's the way, and since I've been loving you, it's it's amazing. It's an incredible record, a perfect segue into what they were about to become. Because the first two albums are very similar, even though Zeppelin 2 does... The Ash Blues standards. Yeah. And then they go in and do Led Zeppelin 3, which kind of has that bluesy folk, couple of rock songs with Immigrant Song. And is it uh, Celebration Days on that too, I think? Or is it Custard Pie? Uh, Custard Pie is on Physical Graffiti. So I think Celebration Celebration Days is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm such Um, a big fan, I can't even remember, but I know Custard Pie is on Physical Graffiti. Yeah. So then you had Let's Up in Four, which then started to have that experimentation, you know, with Battle of Evermore, you know, and, and, and other songs, too. And then Houses of the Holy and Physical Graffiti were just iconic, legendary albums. Physical Graffiti is my favorite Zeppelin album. Too. And I know it's a double album, but again, Custard Pie, uh, Cashmere, you know, it's the, just the Rover. Houses of the Holy, <laughs> which Rover? is even Houses of the Holy. The Rover. I mean, it is a ridiculous freaking album. Black Country Woman. Oh, dude, I know everybody says four or whatever just because they know all the radio hits, and that's really good. But, man, three or physical graffiti any day of the week. Sick Again. God, it's such a great – In My Time of Dying. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, my God. And then a lot of those tracks on physical graffiti, Jimmy Page did with the Black Crows. And so those are my two favorite bands of all time. Black Crows, actually, I'm wearing a Mr. Crow's Garden shirt right now. I got with that, you know, that extended release to the first album. Anyway, 
that was like to me the best thing that ever happened in music with jimmy page got together with the black crows to play zeppelin's tunes some covers and a couple of crows things and i had tickets to see them jay in cleveland ohio and right before that show in cleveland ohio jimmy page hurts his back and never again do these guys ever play again did you ever see page and plant yeah, I saw Page and Plant in 1995 in Cincinnati, and it was it was close to heaven. You know, it I know was. it was just those two guys, but it was loud, and it was rocking, and it had all the Robert Plant-isms and Page-isms, playing the theremin, Robert Plant doing all his fancy hand moves. Like, it was just, it felt like I got sent back to 1975 all over again. I saw Plant three years ago, three, before the pandemic. With his band, uh, the Shapeshifters, I think it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I knew going in, like, this isn't going to be Zeppelin, but right. I want to see Plant because I don't know how much longer he has. Right. Not that, I, not that he's sick or anything, but with these guys and the way they treated their bodies back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. And it was enjoyable. I mean, it was very rockabilly. They did some rockabilly versions of rock and roll and some other yeah. Zeppelin songs, but I enjoyed it. And, and I think. You're wrong if you go into a circumstance like that or a situation expecting to see Robert Plant 1973. Yeah. You're just not. So if you think you're going to see that, don't go because you're going to be disappointed. But if you want to see a guy who's comfortable with himself, who wants to play with his friends from the town that he's living in in England and just hear him and see a rock god perform then go and you'll enjoy yeah. it. Uh, you, you're there's not, not gonna... too many rock gods left, you know, Jay, like, yeah. you know, there's a couple of the stones left. We've got plenty. There's not, I'll, you know, petties like you don't waste your time. Go don't waste time. We have left. So if you have a chance, anyone listening to go see plant next time he comes around, go do it. Seriously, go do it. Yeah. And don't have those expectations of like, man, he's going to be belting out, you know, this and that. He's, he's 70 not. something years old. He can't right. He's not. Of course. Yeah. He's not, but just go enjoy for who you're seeing. Like this is this is one of the dudes, you know? Speaking yep. of the dudes, I'm taking my nephews and my two nephews and my son to see Buddy Guy on the farewell tour. Oh, no kidding. Where, yeah. where are you where are you seeing him play? In Chicago? I think I'm gonna go up to Rockford and see him play. Okay. All right. All right. And then in January, he's doing an over 21 show, which my one of my nephews will be 21 by then. With Leilani Kilgore. Yeah, there you at, go. I was going to say, you got to go see Leilani. With, at, at Legends, at his book. At Legends, yep. So I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to go to that. And Buddy I, loves her. She is amazing, Jay. I mean... If who everybody, I, you got a lot of listeners, so I'm telling you, everybody listening, check out Leilani Kilgore, an amazing rock on. blues guitar. You better have her on, or I'll be mad at you. A uh, blues rock player, guitarist, singer. She's like if you took Joan Jett, Buddy Guy, Joan Bonamasso, and, and pushed everything together, and that's what you get. She is incredible and a cool as shit person. She is amazing. She is, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing Buddy. I'm looking forward to seeing her. I think it's going to be a great show. You'll so love it. See, yeah, see that? And then the next month, because my nephews and my son are like, why do we got to go see Buddy Guy? I'm like, listen, I understand you guys don't appreciate this right now, 
but he is the last of the remaining original blues guys. That's Arguably it. the best. And our, yes, yes. Page called him the best. Beck called him yeah. the best. That's all you need to know. Did, you know. That's all you need to know. And and he's going to be gone. He's not going to be performing anymore. He's ninety. I think ninety, right? To celebrate ninety. Just just about. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think. Who who told me that? Um, Philippa uh, from Thunder Mother when she was in. Maybe Chicago. that's why I heard it because I just listened to that episode a couple of days. I listened yeah, to you. She said she she went down to Buddy Guys after her show with the Scorpions and they got on stage and played. That's right. So, so yeah, he is 90. So here's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm telling him, I'm like, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you're going to be able to say that you saw one of the last blues greats, Chicago blues greats, who's regarded as one of the best guitar players of all time, perform because you're never going to see anything like it again. Exactly. You're never going they, to see it. And your son's a guitar player, so he right. absolutely needs to go and, yeah. and see this. When we talk about Zeppelin and how passionate we are about that band. Are we passionate about Zeppelin? Maybe a little. <laughs> a little. A little. I mean, we could probably talk four or five hours about Zeppelin. Oh, but easy. When you think of the new bands that are out there, and you think of the paths that they are le- uh, leading and the paths they're going down, and you think of the audience that especially people our age mm-hmm. has really rejected for the most part, the younger artists and bands. And I think it's starting to slowly gain traction with the younger audience. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a young kid after hearing, whether it's rap music or pop music from the time they were a kid need a change and need something different because I think you're seeing a lot more young people at shows, at least the shows I go to. Yeah. When you think of like how they're compared to bands like Zeppelin or ACDC or whoever it is, it's annoying to me that, <laughs> that happens because you can't compare bands with not. each other because they're both, they're all different. But when you look at the bands that are becoming prevalent and becoming popular, what do you think that if anything, is missing from this era of of new bands and artists? I'll say the first thing is like media support. I know you were I know you're looking for an artistic piece of that, but first and foremost is there's no platform other than podcasts really to have in YouTube and TikTok and all that shit. But so what are they, what are they, what are they missing? And I think this is this, I'm going to tie this back to a conversation we had on our podcast when you were on, they need that one breakthrough person to be that rock star. I think there's no, there are tons of, there are a shit ton of great bands right now. And they're very talented singers, players, everything. I can't define a rock star out of somebody yet. As we, there's nobody you pick out and say that's slash. Or that, you know what I mean? Like that's Nikki Six. That is whoever you want to, whoever you want to call it. There is not that defining rock star. I think that shining beacon in the night that people will gravitate towards. And all it takes, Jay, if you remember this, is somebody to date a Kardashian. Yes. Or a young actress who's popular. Because the music's good. But, you know, when we were growing up, 70s and 80s, even 90s, there were stars. And there was star power 
right? And sometimes the star power or stars supplanted the quality of the music, but because there's these people, we do not have anybody. You put Joyous Wolf, great band. You know, you and I both love them. Um, Goodbye June, Bim Dirty. You put all these guys together and you say, hey, pick out Nick Reese out of a lineup. How many people are going to be able to do that other than you and me? I think that's coming though, but I think you're right. And I agree with you about 95% of it, right? I think when you look at Nick and you look at guys like Luke Spiller from the Struts, mm-hmm. they have a presence on stage. And I like, and I've, I've talked about this, I love the chip on the shoulder that Nick Reese has. Yeah. He does have that that chip on, on, on his shoulder. Great Very dude. Similar. Funny as shit, though, too. Yeah. Man. Very similar to, like, an Axl Rose chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And I think it's just because we've been told for so long that rock is dead. There's no new great rock bands. And it's gotten into the stratosphere of truth, right? Even though it's not true. Because when you repeat something long enough, people tend to start believing it. They look at it as fact instead of opinion. Yeah. And when you hear these bands, when you see these bands live, they're phenomenal. I get the same feeling watching Joyous Wolf or watching The Struts or watching Rival Sons, watching Tyler Bryant, Blackberry Smoke. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 As I did when I saw Motley Crue and when I saw... Right. Yeah. And when I saw Bon Jovi and I saw Def Leppard and I saw all these bands back in the day. And the bands you mentioned are not copying those bands either. When right. you hear Joyous Wolf or, you know, any of the others, they have their own, they play their own music. It, does it play a, a homage to? Yeah, but it's their own. They're not copying anybody. Most of them. Yeah. And I, and I just feel that I think there's a big truth into not having that red carpet star that rock and roll does not have right now you know there's someone that's on tmz and yeah you know, we're the era of social media dude and like you and i i know like it's it's a curse and a blessing social media but the kids today live and die by their social media and who is the social media star mm-hmm. the rock star out of these up and coming all these great new bands i i if there's one i don't know plus there's an effort to de- redefine what rock is yeah, that started to happen, you know, last half dozen years, you know, where you're, you're saying that Notorious B.I.G. is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of his attitude. <sighs> um, you're thinking you're, you know, you're calling what's the guy's name uh, who's got the tattoos on his face? Uh, uh, not Machine Gun Kelly. Um, well, he's another one. He's another example. Like a, Post Malone. Uh, Post Malone. Right, because you get yeah. the pre. Who's pre Malone? Oh, his grandfather. I got. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Thank you, got, you. God, I'm glad you thought of that. That was going to kill me. Post Malone or Machine Gun Kelly, because of the way they look or the way they, you know, their attitude is, they're they're considered rock or rock stars. They're not. You could call them punk to, though, too, and not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, punk attitude, but not rock music or punk music. Right, right. So there's an effort to redefine it. There's and there's so much talent that so much. I don't know why I, I've there's so many reasons. I don't know why pop music and rap music are so out front and center when rock music has got all this talent as well. And it's kind of, you know, behind the wheel or behind the, you know, behind because the because it's easy. It's easy. Right. There are 
well, we easy don't how? have it because it's produced music. It's not done by individuals playing instruments and writing songs. It's done mm-hmm. by computers and a one or two or 10 people working on a computer together. Yeah. I think about that story that I was told where guitar player of a band that you and I both know and, and, and love goes on a writing session and he pulls out his guitar, puts his guitar, you know, on his, on his lap, getting ready to play. And there's a guy making beats, not even real music. There's, you know, they're trying to figure out an algorithm. And that's the other thing too. We, we just had that show with Christine Eagle great. on TikTok. Awesome. Chris, yeah. she was great. That was a great show. She's phenomenal. And how this, these influencers or whatever, however you define influencers are getting record deals mm-hmm. based on not talent, but followers. That's why I call it easy. Yeah. It takes work to create great art and music, rock music. It, it is not, is it's easy to write like that way computers and there's entities out there and i used to do it too i I used to share tiktok videos but then when i realized like how because every person i interview not every person but those that i interview that we have off the record conversations i'm not going to mention specific names but every one of them says they hate tiktok yeah right They they do like everyone, but they need it. That's they one of those it. platforms to do it. And they re- same and the reason why they need it is because they're told that they need it. Yeah. Right. Because they, because they, the they kids are doing that. The kids right. are watching TikTok. So when I see people promote these TikTok videos and call it the future of rock, no. it's actually killing rock. The more yeah. people promote it. And it's it's not doing any of the bands that are part of the grind, whether it's you know these bands that are playing in these clubs and trying to gain you know build a fan base. It's it's making life so much more difficult for them because mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're taking a person who can play a great version of a Van Halen song on their guitar, a song that's written by somebody else, played by somebody else, and you can look it up and you can practice and you can play it to perfection. Yes, there's talent to be able to do that. You have to have some semblance of talent talent to do that. But there's more talent in creating a riff, writing a song, structuring a song, arranging the song, writing lyrics, and then going out and playing it for people. That's yeah. what a lot of these influencers, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok, aren't doing and are never going to do. Or most of them are never going to do that. And when you hear people say the future is TikTok, it's no, it's a resounding no. It's killing what a rock band is supposed to be, a rock artist is supposed to be. And I think of that quote that Dave Grohl said several years ago about shows like The Voice and shows like American Idol. People think they can wait in line for hours because they sing really good in the shower and go and sing a song and either get rejected or accepted. And that's what they think what it takes to be a rock star. You don't got to sit and play in your garage for hours. You don't got to practice your craft for hours. You can just go and be judged. And if they say they like you, you move on to the next round. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. It's never been what it's about. And that's really what TikTok is kind of doing on a social media platform. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to make one counter argument to that. 
and only provide the good point of something like a TikTok or social media. I agree that it waters down and it, I don't know what's the right word. It clones kind of like that rock and all that, all those pieces. Like, you know, I will say the only good thing about some of that stuff is when people see real live people playing those instruments and those parts, it can influence them to want to pick up the guitar and play that. And now we've got the next generation pick up the guitar. Hey, I like this riff. Who does it? I'm going to learn songs. I'm going to like my own riffs. That is the only positive piece of that. And that's like 15, 20%, but I'm with you 80% of the way on that for sure. But then, for does, sure. It become, but then does it become that they learn the guitar riff, they pick up the guitar, and then they're all about getting as many followers. Yeah. Oh, 100%, than, yeah. Really learning their guitar, writing yep. their own song, because yep. these people that are getting signed by record companies that are TikTok stars or Instagram stars, here's what's going to happen. This is the reality. None of them can write their own music, or ninety percent of them can't write their own music, or it could never they, play with live people together. Right, and they've never played in a band. They don't know how yep. to play with other other artists, so they're going to go get sign a record deal. They're going to make crap money, okay? Because the record company is going to send in thirty songwriters to write a song, you're going to play it. Somebody else may sing on it. Or if you sing on it, that kid sings on it, they're going to auto-tune the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, okay? another problem and with the industry. Easy. They're, they're never going to play live. Easy, yeah. They're never going to play live. And if they do play live, it's going to be tracked. So my question is, is that rock and roll? Are you really doing no. a service to rock and roll? You're no not. Way, you're not. There's no way you can actually possibly answer yes on that. That is a so, form of performance, not rock. Right. Performance. Now, if you want to promote the bands that are out there, like the Dirty Honeys and the Joyous Wolves and the Jacks Hollows, who you and I both love, Goodbye Junes, who are making TikTok videos, who are yep. bands that are making music and making records, that's one thing, right? But yep. when you're, you know, showing a young, attractive girl or a young, young kid playing whatever song, it's not... It's not helping anybody. It's not. It's not. Again, the only thing I really like is the fact you may inspire somebody to pick up an instrument to play it. It is mostly vanity, and I'm 100% with you. And going back to your point, too, of like the performance aspect and the writing and the producing, a lot of these top acts don't tour or play music live or play music live outside of a festival with three songs or, a you know, an awards event. And that that's very telling too. Yep. You're talking about like pop artists and stuff like that. Pop artists, hip hop, R and B, not R and B, R and B usually performs, but yeah, pop and like hip hop is like, who's touring? Who's playing shows? It's a question that I don't think is ever going to get answered. And I think this conversation that we're having is going to be a conversation we're going to have five years from now, 10 years from now. It's, I don't think it's ever going to going away. And I hope, as we've always been told in our lives, that things run on a cycle, right? Everything is cyclical. Yeah. And hopefully, again, rock and roll will see a soaring popularity, a a presence that it deserves. And I don't, I don't know when that's going to happen. I think the talent is there. The bands are there. So many great, wonderful bands. There's so many great, wonderful artists that are out there. Um. I think the way to support them is promoting their shows, promoting, you know, whatever they post on their on their social media and recognizing what true talent is 
versus what you said, vanity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a very important distinction. I think we have a window right now. There's a lot of really good artists and I think appealing artists out there. I think we've got about five years for somebody or some bands to break through to really bring back that. To, it's never going to be the spotlight, maybe like it was in the 70s, 80s, but to be more mainstream popular because, again, there's so much talent. We've named them. I think the interest is there. You've already talked about, hey, you're going to take your son, who I believe is 17, 18, some nephews to go see live music, people playing instruments. They are interested. If nobody breaks through now in the next five years, it's going to be another long cycle before we start seeing, I think, some more rock music comes back. And bands are going to quit playing and coming out because they're not going to be able to make a living doing it either. It's hard out there, man. You know, it's hard for the I can't believe we're seeing so many rock bands are on the road doing what they can do because they aren't making shit. No. And now they're getting squeezed on merch. Yeah, yeah. They're getting squeezed on all that. 20% on merch from the venue just to have it there. Like, come on, come on, guys. Like, really? Now we got Ticketmaster with outrageous ticket fees that price people out of even seeing mid tier shows. Hey, I'm going to, I don't mind paying $30 for a concert ticket. What I mind is the $23.50 fees that are added on top of the show that I want to go to because I start saying that $30 ticket was worth it. Is $55 worth it? I don't know. Well, the other thing, the aspect that people fail to correlate is this is all automated stuff. This is yeah. all a, a, a program. program. Right. <laughs> There's no people handling anything. sending you your email with tickets. It's processing the payment. So there's not, I can understand if, if the fees were this way and there was a someone on the phone that you're ordering. Somebody's manually printing every ticket off and right, put, licking right. an envelope and putting a stamp on. Sure. Exactly. And that's not happening. <laughs> So automated, it's on my right? phone. I order tickets on my phone on whatever app I'm on. It's right there. There's right. nothing. So there's, they pay, so there's, they pay a fee to do that. It's not a personnel cost. It's not going to personnel. No, there's no overhead. Right. So we're, I mean, it's almost like the grocery store. When you go into the automatic checkout line, shouldn't, <laughs> the, the shouldn't I get a reduction same. on my groceries? Because get I'm doing off. this myself. I, you should be paying me. I, you should pay me to do the. I'm doing work for the store. I am yes. doing work for the store. It's amazing, it, and it pisses me off. And I don't know how it's. Well, I know how it's legal because there's a monopoly. Even though we're not supposed to have monopolies. I, I, I will vote for whoever president. I don't care how much of a criminal deviant they are if they promise to break up Ticketmaster. <laughs> They've been talking bust about the con- bust the Constitution and Ticketmaster. You've got my vote. <laughs> hey, it's just they've been talking about it for years about breaking up Ticketmaster, and it's like they get they get quiet for a while, they simmer yep. down for a while, and then the last year with all these fees, I think it was Marcus King that I went and saw, and the ticket amazing were, player, amazing. amazing player, great live. Jeez, tickets were like 40 bucks. It's a good price, of, fair price. And at the end of the day, uh, 75 bucks piece with fees. And if you told me, hey, 70 of the $75 is going to Marcus King's pocket, I would be actually okay with that. You know what I mean? I'd be like, okay. I know the artist is getting that money because they sure, sure aren't getting money from selling records, right? That It's all merch and it's all tickets. And I just, it's killing it's killing these guys who it, I will pay 30, 40 bucks for a ticket. But once you start adding those fees and become 70, 80s, I might not decide to go anymore. Mm-hmm. 
No, it is crazy. I, I think they're trying to make up for lost revenue during the pandemic. I mean, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. And, and the venues don't even get that. You know what I mean? Like in its Ticketmaster or whatever ticket service you're going through, and it's not even the people at the venues getting that money. What was their last quarter profits? It was like in the billions and billions of dollars. Crazy. It's and then you see Metallica prices. <laughs> you gotta buy two shows, man, not just one. And they're what I saw five thousand a piece for the pit. Or oh. three thousand a piece for the pit. My wife and daughter just got tickets to Taylor Swift in Nashville. And I saw my credit card bill. And they don't even have great seats. Okay, where where are the seats at? Uh, that's a good question. They're up, they're up somewhere. 200, 300 level. Yeah. Yes. Over hundred bucks a piece. Oh yeah. Jesus. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline crazy uh yeah like 200 something for that and it's i don't know why capitalism but if i'm an artist i think i would make my tickets more reasonable so i could bring more people in to see me to keep the fans to buy the merch to do more stuff than like blowing people look like the eagles and all these other who charge outrageous fees i'm like I guess you're just getting the old rich people and no young people can afford to go do that. Go watch you play anymore. I just don't quite understand that. I don't either. It's it's like you said, it's becoming a theater for the rich. Yeah. Where it's almost similar to what sports are too. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I remember growing up, 
my parents could take me and my brother to a Cub game. We can get a hot dog. We can get a drink, a pop, and under probably sixty bucks for the whole for the whole day. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, you know, the players weren't getting paid as much money, but on the other side, these teams weren't making the revenue from these TV deals either. That's right. So there's so many streams of revenue for these big conglomerates, whether it's a sports team, whether it's Live Nation, to make money. And then you see they're taking a percentage of the merch, right? Um, you see beer sales. I think a beer at the stadium tour at Wrigley, when I saw that, I think a beer was like $18. Jesus Christ, that's crazy. Because some of it goes to the bands. Yeah. Um, you see merchandise, T-shirts now 50 60 bucks, right? That's out. The Black Crows did that. And again, they're my but favorite. They have to. I mean, the venue's taking a percentage of the merch. They have to. Do they? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I've gone other places and I buy a shirt for 30 bucks. I get a Blackberry Smoke, I buy a shirt for 30 bucks. Those guys are great I will with say, their pricing. I will say I just saw Blackberry Smoke a couple weeks ago. And their shirts, I think, were 30 bucks. 30, 30 bucks. bucks. And you get a long sleeve one for 45 or 40 or something. It's extremely right. reasonable. And they right. play mid-sized venues. And But there's, you know... They've got a really good business model. It's just some of this other stuff is so crazy. I That's just a good don't point get too it. About, about Blackberry Smoke. That if you're a young band and you're out there, if you want to really have a model for your business, because each band is a business. Yeah. Study what Blackberry Smoke does. Study what they do. They're they're constantly on tour. They tour, they probably do what? 150 dates a year, 150 to 200 dates a year. Oh, I'd say 200, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have their own merch company. Yep. Merch Mountain, great place. Merch Mountain, great products, great, great stuff. I think yep. Tuck Smith's on there. I think a lot of other Tyler Bryant goes through Tyler Bryant Mount, Mountain. The Black Crows are on there, Almond Brothers. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They I think they release I think they're on Earache Records, which Correct. I think Earache gives back the masters after three or five years. Okay. I, I think that's pretty standard with Earache, from what I've heard. Um they're they have a great business model with what they do. They're great. they're constantly putting out music. They do they they have their big release every two years, mm-hmm. but in between then they release EPs of either covers like they did with the Stones vinyl yep. that they did, or they do the acoustic set at like a like a studio or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So they're constantly putting stuff out for their fans. Their merch table has everything from lighters to stickers to patches to t-shirts to hoodies to vinyl to sign records drum sign heads records. you name it yeah so if you want to really learn a business model how to make money because they're not the biggest band in the world no they should be damn it i mean honest to god like yeah. those guys should be bigger how many times have you seen them live 12 yeah i'm, I'm right up there i'm like i'm like eight to ten yeah right oh good every time but yeah they have a great model. They're fan friendly. They interact. They give things their fans want. They talk to their fans. They're good people. They built from the ground up by touring, by, you know, organically building a fan base. And that is the right way to do it. They make your spot on. They make their merch affordable. They put things out regularly that people want to buy. And there are so many bands, the black crows that should take a lesson from what they're doing. And can make money. If the Black Crows released, you know, 
live recordings and shows, you know, and they, they record everything. People are going to buy it. We do not want socks. We don't want scarves. We don't want a tour jacket, you know, put some music out, put, make some affordable t-shirts and hoodies and you're going to make a mint, man. Another great business model is I just went to the Metallica show in Hollywood, Florida in November. They did that special show for Megaforce records. And you go to their merch table and every piece of merch is dedicated to that show. Hmm. Got limited edition posters for that show. They've got this show on the back of where you're seeing them at. Yeah. And they have all this stuff. Now they can afford to do that. I mean, obviously they're, they're a machine <laughs> at this point. Yeah. But when you walk out of there, every piece of merch is gone. The t-shirts are all gone. The posters are all gone. What are they selling that stuff for? The t-shirts were 50 Ugh, yeah. and the posters were 20, 25. Okay. Yeah. I, that's legit for a poster, especially for like a one-off like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's great. But people buy it. I mean, you, you go to a show, a Metallica show, and there's a hundred different Metallica t-shirts. Yeah. Very few duplicates in the crowd. Right. But again, they're on a larger scale. But again, to go back to the point about Live Nation and the, and the cost, it surprises me that, and well, I, I shouldn't say it surprises me because I am starting to see, I think, a turn. Like the, the Blackberry Smoke show that we went to was packed. Yeah, great. It was, it was pretty full. Yeah. And I think people are finally starting to realize, well, if I go see these second tier bands or third tier, you're going to get a great show. You're going to spend a quarter of the cost. Yeah. You're going to have yeah. enough money to go out for dinner. The beer's a lot cheaper. Yeah. 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 So I think that may be starting to happen. I think people see the ticket prices for Taylor Swift or they see the ticket prices for Metallica. And they're like, well, who else is playing? Who else can I start listening to and go check out live? Oh, you know, this group here or this entity over here keeps talking about this band or that band. Let me check them out. All right, let's go see them. Tickets are 25 bucks, 30 bucks. Butch Walker, one of the greatest performers of all time. His tickets were 25 bucks at the House of Blues. You could see eight Butch Walker shows for one Taylor Swift ticket. That's amazing. That makes me happy because now I'm thinking, I'm like, how can I do that? So a band that you and I both mutually like, GA20, we both had on. They're coming to Columbus in February. They're playing a cool club. It's $10 for a freaking ticket, Jay. $10. I'm going to buy 10 tickets and take nine friends. Tyler Bryant was, I think, 18 or 20. Yeah. And he's playing small shows. But I think I think you're right. I think the pricing is going to help drive people to some of these second and third tier bands that are great. And they're going to come up with new fans. Me personally, I'd much rather go to a small theater, outdoor arena, club to see a show these days and go to a stadium. It's a much better experience, more intimate. You feel the music. You get into it. than you do seeing something in a stadium. Yeah, I... I went and saw the stadium tour and how, how was that by the way? Well, who, how would you rank the three bands? The four three bands, or the three five? Bands. Who, who did, who was on your bill? Classless act. Yeah. So who I would else? rank in terms of performance. Okay. I'd rank number one. Classless act. Okay. And they had the stock stereos or stock uh, sound system. Yeah. Number two, Joan Jett. Oh, that's right. Joan Jett was on that. Yeah. That's right. Number three, Def Leppard. Number four, Poison. And last, Motley Crue. 
Poor Vince Neil. Well, it wasn't Vince Neil. It was Nikki Six's bass was just out of control. Like up in the mix? Yeah. Like it sounded, oh, you know what it sounded so like when you pulled into an intersection and someone's got their bass all the way up in the Distorted and vibrating. Yeah. And, you, and your car starts shaking. That's what it sounded like. I saw the Donnas at a club, Cincinnati, uh, Bogart's, great place. And was I in college or just after college? Whenever their peak year or two was. And all I remember about that show is the bass, the PA for the bass was super loud and distorted and it ruined the whole thing. When you think of Columbus, where right, kind of where you're from, yeah, what are some? It's where of, I live, I'm from Cincinnati. Come on, all right, got to be very specific. I apologize. I know how you Ohioans are are uh, are very territorial. Very, very territorial. territorial. Cincinnati's great. Cincinnati's probably my favorite place to go to in Ohio. I'm with you. It's right on the border of Kentucky. There's some really great venues like Southgate House. Is right oh, there. Southgate House, awesome. Church great. converted to a music venue, awesome. Great place. Um, just, what's that? Was it Mount Washington? Which has got all the restaurants and bars. Yep, and yep, yep. Great um, place. Yep. Great place. And you got Newport, Kentucky right there, which is awesome. So Columbus, though, I was just there for the Notre Dame-Ohio State game earlier this year. Mm-hmm. It's a one good town. Our, one of our favorite bands that's new and upcoming that's Finally going to be releasing a new EP, South of Eden, is going to be having their album release party in February. What is the scene in Columbus? It is commercial, large venue acts. It is not great for small acts, independent acts. There are some clubs. So where I'm going to go to see GA20 um, it's the Woodlands Tavern. It's cool. I've seen Rich Robinson play their solo. I've seen them Dirty Roses. Play. It's fine. It is not a great indie small band town. Um, they opened up a, a club recently called uh, King of Clubs, and that has like the Wasps and some of these, you know, um, I don't know what the right name of those acts for that we're calling people, the nostalgia acts coming through Ingve scenes. But it is, man, if you're an up and coming band, it's not great. Uh, we had Bar- Bourbon House lined up to come play this summer, and they had to cancel the show because the the promoter didn't do shit for them. I bought a, I bought a handful of tickets online. That was it, just because I knew them and it was coming. So it is not really great. It is corporate, big big venue bands. We have uh, the Hockey Arena. We have Shot and Sing Center, which is next to to Ohio State. So we have these big places and that's where people go, man. It is not great here. Cincinnati's good. Dayton, Ohio is actually really good for small and indie indie music. It's probably the best in Ohio. I heard your interview at Bourbon House. That was a great interview. Uh the one we just did? Yeah. Oh, they're Lacey and Jason are so great. They're so fun. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They you know the thing about them that is so great is when you hear their earlier stuff to now you see this like incarnation of this band that's becoming great. Yes, you, absolutely. You, like you, every song they put out, the arrangement is great. It's better than the last one. The The music is greater, you know, it's better than the last one. And it's like, they keep taking steps forward. They, yeah. they haven't had a step back because some bands will have a step back. That's just kind of the natural progression of success, right? You have yep. one step back, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. And they keep having forward steps. It seems to me, the perception I have. 
And I love that because when I first saw them, gosh, years ago, in, or not years ago, a few years ago in Wisconsin, pre-pandemic, uh, you know, they were, they were a lot, they weren't as tight as they were now, as they are now. They were very raw mm-hmm. and they've really, they've really mastered their craft. They, they just keep getting better. They have a really, I agree with that. They're, they're evolving musically great. The last couple songs, particularly High Road Gypsy and Blue, the one they just released, Blue. Uh, Jeez. Oh, help me God. But it, it's awesome. When we were interviewing them, the interview you're talking about here from the other week, we got in the writing process. It was so interesting. It's so different. So though Jason and Lacey were both novelists. So they approach everything with a writer's perspective, not a musical perspective. So they will say, I want a song with this theme and this style. And then they'll write it like that. It's not, I've come up with a riff. I've come up with a melody. I've come up with a chord progression. I That was blew my mind. I was like, that's really freaking cool because they take that writing novel approach and that's how they approach it, their music. And that's, I think, why their music tells a good story. Their music videos are super cool, but it just like it blew my mind that somebody would kind of work backwards. It's very odd for a band that's blues based like them to really have a visual aspect. Yes. In their music. Yes. To have you know, kind of a storyboard type of song that translates well to a video. Yeah. The last song was Blue Magic, the one we were trying. Blue to- Magic. Thank you. God bless. It is just so cool. It's such a cool song. It is definitely different from anything they've done. It's beautiful. It's a great song. Yeah, that's the thing. Like every time I click on a new single, whether it's Resonate, whether it's Out for Blood, whatever it is, it's like, wow, that song is awesome. This song is great. You, you know, they they they're on their way. I think I think the next year is going to be a pretty big year. They've got the full length album coming out. I think first quarter. Yep. And again, another band that could reach that you know Blackberry Smoke height of popularity. I mean, let's face it. You know, I mean, they're never going to be this gargantuan, you know, huge arena rock band. It's just right. not, it's very unlikely, but that doesn't mean they're bad. That's the thing that people, you know, don't realize is that you can play small theaters and clubs, be very successful and be very awesome and have a very loyal fan, fan base and do very well for yourselves throughout your career, you know, outside of playing the stadiums and arenas that these big pop acts play. But I, I envision them, you know, being at that level of a blackberry smoke at some point, if they keep going with this, I mean, yeah. this, evo- this incredible evolution of their sound and music. We'll tie it back to the beginning of our conversation with Led Zeppelin. I, I liken them to Led Zeppelin in the fact that they are started out as a blues rock based band and each album and songs have become different. They tell a good story. They're doing different styles of music. They still keep that blues influence. You know, you know what I mean? Like Jason's not Jimmy Page and and Lacey's not Robert Plant, but it the similarities for the evolution and what they're doing are there. I agree. I think that's the big thing. I think a band that I remember first listening to has taken the biggest steps. I think it's I think it's Bourbon House. Oh, for sure. In terms of their and, quality and- of music and how they've just every time it's like, man, that was better than the last one. No, that was better than this song. You know, it's just they keep making good music. Whatever they're whatever they're putting in their food, whatever spices and whatever <laughs> oil they're cooking with, it's working. Because Who, whoever has them on next, you or me, we got to ask them that question. It's like, what are you guys eating? Are you guys using you know basil? How much pepper? Are you using crushed pepper? 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a lot of like cardamom and. Um, what's in the bourbon yeah. house stew? Tell us what's <laughs> in the stew. But hopefully bourbon. Hopefully bourbon. Yeah. But I you, man, in Nashville, I drink a lot of bourbon. Yeah, well, you should. You're down there at the Bourbon Trail, man. Another artist that I think big things are going to happen to is our friend Jax. Jax Hollis. Oh, yes. Um, I can't wait for her new album to come out. So you, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a secret. I'm gonna tell you a secret. Everybody who's listening, we just recorded our Christmas episode for the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Holiday Special. Once a year, we do something called a guitar roundtable where we have guitars from different bands get together and talk. Last night we recorded ours. It was Jack's Hollow. It was Leilani Kilgore and Aaron Coburn, and she gets into her album. And it's an amazing conversation, Jay. You are gonna love it, but. Going back to what you said, yes, Jax is destined for great things. It sounds like this new album is going to be incredible. Have you heard anything yet? I have not. Neither have I. Come on, Jax. She, I, I had the pleasure of meeting her at the True Villains show the night before the Butch show. Oh. So I go see True Villains because, like, I was there with two of my buddies. We went there specifically for the Butch show. And we went to the Johnny Cash Museum that day. And then we were looking for a place to go. And one of my buddies like, well, let's go see Pucifer or Pucifer. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not seeing that. I'm like, I've got no interest in that. I'm sure people like, I'm sure it's good. It's just kind of not my thing. So I'm looking at like the basement and all the stuff. And I see True Villains is playing. And I'm like, you know, they've been on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, 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 I got to go check them out. So I'm sitting there and then like, I see this girl walk in. I'm like, man, she looks really familiar. I'm like looking, I'm like, that's Jack's Hollow. So I <laughs> introduced myself and talked to her for about a half hour. Um, extremely nice, extremely pleasant. She's um, she's just so talented. She actually went to the Butch show the following night, but it was so crowded, I didn't see her. I actually okay. ran into Amy Darling that night um, at the show, and she was great too as well. She was really friendly. Um, she's another artist that's that's great. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, she says I, the right stuff. She wants to be, and she said this on you, on your interview that you did with her, which was awesome. She wants to be Robert Plant and Jimmy Page all rolled into one. She can do it. She can. She's got a great voice. Great she voice. Shreds. 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 Her pick sweeps are excellent. <laughs> she, um, great songwriter too. That song that she has. Drift Away? Drift Away. There you go. I didn't. I knew that was your favorite because you talked about that with her. Song's so incredible. It, it's so it's so good, and she's very diverse on that album, on the Underdog Anthems album, right? So it's it's. She told us on the new album, she, instead of starting off with a hardcore kicker for the first song, she's doing something a little quieter and a little softer to lead off the album to show her evolution as an artist. I think the song is the song breathe i think it might be breathe breathe and that's like the last song i think and she just shreds the hell out of that no it's not it's not you know and then it's not then it is drift away drift, drift okay. together drift together is it drift together drift, drift drift away is like doby whatever i'm, yeah, I'm digging true. through my cd right now to pull it out it's drift together but i gotta see her live when she plays nashville i'm definitely gonna go check her out she's fantastic oh she, she is so um, I was in Nashville last March with my wife and some other people. We actually all came into town to see Steve Gorman and his band um, play. And we'd already had 
Jack's on the show. So I'd contacted her and she was playing like, you know, like an acoustic duo thing. Just, you know, you got, you got to make a living. So we went and saw her playing. She was really great. It was nice. Took pictures with all of us. We got to chat a little bit, but even doing that, man, super talented. I I'm with you though. I need to see her live in concert doing all her original stuff. I'm just like, I heard guitar playing. Like I'm a guitar player. Not great, but I just want to see her shred. I love watching people play. I do too. I mean, watching t- uh, Tyler Bryant and Graham Whitford a couple weeks so ago. So good. Oh. And, wow. and Tyler gives Graham ch- ch- plenty of time to shine. Like, it's not the Tyler Bryant show. Right. He gives everybody in his plan- band an opportunity. I love that about Tyler. Tyler is such a nice guy, man. I mean, just talking with him after the show, talking with him and Caleb yes. after the show. Uh, Pete Dankelson was there. He brought Pete Dankelson, yeah. Pete's diary. I saw was, that. And you posted a clip of that, didn't you? Yeah. No, I, I posted a clip of of Pete's show at the House of Blues. Oh, okay. But you had and you had clips of Tyler Bryant then. Yeah. And okay. I got. I tell you, I, I got to. Whenever you do a Twitter live stream, the the video never shows up great. Oh, I use Instagram, and it usually does okay. Twitter never get it to work. Yeah, because it's just like I think it's because whatever the the feed or the signal, whatever it is, but it just looks. What, like crap. Come on, Elon, fix that shit. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I mean, you know, you said Twitter is is the is it could be the destruction of society. Well, fix my videos, my live video. <laughs> come on, man, it's 2022, almost 23. You should I be mean, able to just great new video. It's great in mind. Fix the freaking video thing. <laughs> Speaking of Tyler Bryant, the shakedown, that album is so good. It's on my contenders when we do our year in list for top 10. Anybody that didn't list that in the top three and a quarter, Jay, I've got serious problems with. And you know, who yeah, I'm talking that Chris about. Corradetti guy is just, <laughs> I mean, what a jackass. Come on, Chris. I mean, seriously, like sometimes when he talks, I'm like, what is he listening to? I mean, when's the last time you, you cleaned out your ears? Yeah, Honestly. you know. It's that in obviously country living by my favorite band, Monster Truck. <laughs> by the way, thank you for thank you for introducing me to everybody. That that is the way I think I introduced myself with that whole conversation. I didn't want I didn't want to listen. They forced me. Monster Truck Country Living, that is a um it's an anthem. And that's like Beverly Hills Cop three. That is like that little <laughs> I've never heard anybody def- describe anything using Beverly Hills Cop Three, but yeah, Beverly Hills Cop Three, that. in my opinion, is the worst movie ever made. It's, it's just it's just so, edges out. It just why are they at an amusement park? Why it are just they edges out Cannonball Run Two. Oh, Cannonball Run oh, Two. Yeah, Oof. yeah. But the, Oof. the 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 scene in Beverly Hills Cop Three where they're on like the Ferris wheel thing and they're oh jumping God. from cart to cart. I was like, what did they think when they were making this scene? Like, like this is how do you make Beverly Hills Cop a PG thirteen movie too? What I mean, come on. Well, wasn't Fail. the first one R? The first two are R, yeah. yeah. Like language and violence, all the stuff. As a child of the eighties, I look for in a movie. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop three, probably the worst movie. Cannonball Run two, close second. But they had cool cars and and they had cool women cars. Time but, in that. And and who was was it Barbara Bach was in? No, she she was in the first one. Daisy from uh, Dukes of Hazard. 
Yeah. Um, who was in? So, oh gosh. Um, the best Adrian Barbeau was Adrian Barbeau in the, the second one. The best. Oh. <laughs> yeah, with the outtakes during the credits. That was the best thing about the movie. If I had to put a number three bad movie, I'm I list. still love you described that as Beverly Hills Cop three. It's amazing. <laughs> I would say Grease two is number three. But that's so bad. It's good. It's ridiculous. the The songs are ridiculous. The acting's ridiculous. It's it's Adrian Zamed and Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah. And you got the dude, the, the foreign exchange student who learns how to drive a motorcycle. Lorenzo Lamas. <laughs> Is it Lorenzo Lamas? No, it's 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 the same actor that plays Rex Manning from Empire Records. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rex Manning Day, that guy. <laughs> I don't know what his name is. Rex Manning, that's what I'm going to call him. Fourth pick of worst movie of all time. I'm going to go with Pixels that came out like four or five years ago. So Adam, Adam Sandler. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Never movie. seen it. You, you said I enough, though. Took my son to see it. And even my son, who was like 11 at the time, was like, Dad, that was pretty bad. Um, so when you don't even get the 11 year old, you're doing you're not doing something right. Number if Adam Sandler is not entertaining an 11 year old. You know, it's bad. Yeah. And I would say the fifth worst movie of all time. Tango and Cash. What? Okay, you lost me there. That Tango. movie's cash. That, that cash. movie Tango. is so good. It's not good. I mean, the, the only redeeming good. part is Terry Hatcher. She's great in that. Wonderful. She's, she's beautiful in that. She's Sylvester amazing. Stallone's sister, right? And Kurt Russell like ends yeah. up getting with her. Yeah. I would probably tie that with lockup. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone in prison. I see. I'm saying I'm, there's a thing. He's a nice Sylvester prisoner. Stallone. He's a nice he, prisoner. He's a leader. Yeah. He's, He's a, a leader. leader. They they work on the auto shop together, I believe. Right. Is that yeah. what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So when that movie came out, about the same for some reason that late eighties, these prison movies were big. There is a prison movie with Tom Selleck called An Innocent Man. Yes. He's right. And it's like this, when the night comes. Essentially the same when the night yes. comes. Yes. Essentially the same movie. A little bit a little bit nuanced different, but essentially the same. Yeah. I would also do a three way tie with lock up tango and cash over the top. <laughs> at least with over the top we got that great um theme song by master of the 80s movie soundtracks Sammy uh, can't know kenny um kenny loggins oh yeah kenny loggins me, thank you me, oh my you god halfway <laughs> me you halfway me, me halfway I, it gets it brings a tear to my eye <laughs> i just like he's a truck driver arm wrestler and he has that device in like his they filled two hours about arm wrestling <laughs> They filled two hours. And bonding with an estranged child. Yes. In a truck, in a semi. At, <laughs> at arm wrestling events. So for a brief period in time, that movie brought back arm wrestling. There was kids arm wrestling stands. They even had some of the figures from the movie that had like arm. Like I remember arm wrestling in middle school when that movie came out. We were all fired up. You remember the move that Sylvester Stone would have? He'd like move yeah. around. Well, first he had to turn his hat around. What was the compelling thing that kept pushing the story forward? Was it he had like he could break his arm. He had like fragile bones or something like that, or a ligament or shoulder or something like that. And it was going to affect his driving the semi. So he couldn't make a living. Was that like the thing? The thing of it was, is he, he wanted to earn the money to buy a new truck, or I think maybe he got a new semi 
tractor. So he could earn enough money to take care of his son since his wife or ex-wife had died of cancer. And he wanted to get his son out of school, out of military school and take care of him. So he needed to win. He needed to buy that truck. Hawks Trucking Company. How's he going to put his kid in school if he's always in a truck driving across the country? He didn't need school if you're in a truck driving across the country and competing in arm wrestling. You're learning through life. He he was beating kids in arcades. He taught his son how to beat his kids in arcades. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. That's life lessons that you can't get in a classroom, Jay. Come on. I guess. I mean, <laughs> when you think of like those three stories, you think of Tango and Ass, you think of Lock <laughs> Up and Over the Top. I mean, that's some riveting storytelling right there. I mean, that is Scorsese level. It The 80s were a time that will never be met ever again in the one movie that ended the decade, which was also the apex of human cinema, came out in 1989, Roadhouse. <laughs> Film has gone downhill since Roadhouse. I remember I bounced at a biker bar in my early 20s. Wait a minute. You bounced at a biker bar. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. And I remember... The lead bouncer. You were a cooler. You weren't a bouncer. You were a cooler. I was a cooler. That's right. You're <laughs> absolutely right. I was a cooler. Very good, Jason. Um, but I remember the first night on the job, he gave me the exact same speech Patrick Swayze gave. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this? Where have I heard this? And then I'm like, two years later, I'm watching Roadhouse. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's the speech that dude gave me you know the first night but i was a cooler i was the only one to not end up getting stitches or a bottle cracked over my head that's what yeah. i was going to ask how many times you've been stabbed i did not get stabbed i probably the, the the three most memorable moments of working at that bar was one i had to stop a biker from coming in with a blowtorch because he was going to blowtorch his wife to the bar stool because she was cheating on him i mean fair and I had to tell him that he couldn't do that, that that's not acceptable behavior. So I that was probably the most memorable. The other most memorable one was a fight broke out, spilled out in the street. And I'm fighting this guy on the on the ground and a state trooper pulls up <laughs> with the lights on all of us and then makes a left hand turn and drives away while this big brawl is going on do you blame him he was outnumbered and then the third most memorable one it should probably be the first there was this biker named spider of course was a spider there's always a spider i think it was spider yeah and there is always a spider um and he would go up to people around the bar on fridays and saturday nights and he would make about 200 bucks 250 bucks because he would bet people that he had your name tattooed on his dick. Oh boy. And they'd be like, and they put down like 20 bucks or whatever. And he'd whip out his dick like in the middle of the bar and it had your name. Oh my God. That was, that was always a source of entertainment. You know what? Good on that dude. I mean, he's got that built in like grip. That's perfect. He's got a a revenue stream right there. He's got a, He's got multiple streams coming out of that. 
<laughs> so, so going back to Roadhouse, do you remember the three roles that Patrick Swayze, that Dalton, no first name needed, gave, told everybody? There's three rules of cooling that you guys need to know. Oh, God, what was it? I know what you're talking about, too. I'm drawing a blank now. The three. Um... I'll give you the first one. Be nice. Be nice. Be firm. Be nice, and, and, and he's like, be nice, until it's time not to be nice. And the guy goes, well, when is it going to be time not to be nice? He's like, I'll tell you. What, what be nice. The, what is the final two? Take it outside and expect the unexpected. Never underestimate anyone. Yep. I, I, I live my life by those three rules now in the business world. I do it every day. <laughs> I'm nice. I will. I will tell you from working in a a biker bar that in a bar fight, expect the unexpected is a very true statement. Yeah. Yes. Is a very absolutely true because anybody who's ever actually been in a fight, never just watched one on TV or a movie, knows that you don't stand there trading punches and taking your time. I I got in a fight with three guys once, not intentional. I got jumped. And, it, you know, in the movies, when you're fighting multiple people and they take turns coming at you, it's not like that in real life. They all come at you at the same time. They do. They do. They don't. And they wait. all punch you at the same time. And they it don't hurts. wait. <laughs> they don't wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the thing about, like, it's anything goes. Like, if you get you know, a, a fight. A survival, dude. Right. I'm, I'm, a fight I'm punch a blow the bell. A fight at school is some kind of uniform civil, you know, yes. civil, yeah. civil yes. you know? Yes. A fight in a bar? Survival. It's bottles. It's whatever. Groins. <laughs> it's know? hair, ears, yeah. nose, eyes, whatever, throats, whatever you can do. Like, I never considered grabbing a guy by the balls until I was in a fight at a bar at the when I was bouncing. And the yeah. guy got on top of me, and I had my... My my legs, you know, were up, but my back was like, you know, on the ground. I had my hands on the ground. I'm like, man, how do I get out of this? And I got, I was able to like move my shoulder and pull my arm up and just grab his balls and yeah. squeeze Dude. bloody murder. And he got off of me immediately. He, yeah. We're guys, we know how that feels and it works. And it, it's, it, it is, it is not fun to get punched in the face, nor is it fun to punch anybody else in the face. Both hurt. I, I will say Roadhouse is a very good pick. It's a very bad movie. Um, <laughs> but it's good at the same time. Well, but when you think of movie studios back then, like who green lights a movie about yes. a bar and a bouncer and who green lights a famous movie bar bouncer arm wrestling. Yes. Cocaine. Cocaine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're like so, cocaine i'm like uh, it was yeah. the 80s of course you walk in to pitch a movie to producers you have a giant bag of cocaine you put it on the table you get your movie made <laughs> dude our bustling man Nort sounds Nort, great to me we'll get freaking kenny loggins to do the freaking song and hagar will do that boxing or that arm wrestling video that he did and we got Stallone, and we got a bunch of big guys that can't act where they shit, dude. People will love it. But you believe Stallone's a badass. The thing about Roadhouse that makes it wonderful, one, obviously the plot. Hey, guys, I got an idea for a movie. It's this world-famous bar bouncer who has a PhD in philosophy who's very well-read and smart, but he goes to shithole bars 
to clean out the shovel bars. Yeah, that's what he does. Oh, and by the way, we're going to make Patrick Swayze, this world famous bar bouncer, all five, seven, 150 pounds of him. And he's going to wear a women's blouse anytime he's wearing a shirt in the movie. Let's do it. And let's add a monster truck. Because they're, the they're out in the country living. Because it's in the... <laughs> that was beautiful. That was a professional... Dude, I just did, seriously. I, I should just stop right now. <laughs> I, listen, it's been great, Jay. I will talk to you later. <laughs> you like the way I brought that back? You like that the way I brought that back? Amazing. Seamlessly, dude. Seamlessly. It was, it was almost like you had it scripted, but I know you didn't because there's no way you can script this. No, no. What's the best Stallone movie? Rambo or Rocky? First Blood or Rocky? Or third choice, not a very well-known movie, but an excellent movie nonetheless, Victory. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. He's a great goalie in that in the World yeah. War II camp. Yeah. I, I'm going to say Victory. I'm going to go with Victory, and here's why. Victory is a great movie. Uh, Rambo's depressing as hell, right? Like this dude, this world of this vietnam vet who just wants to come see is like he's harassed and bad shit happens it's depressing uh rocky good movie underdog story he does want to go the distance he goes the distance it's fine but you know i want my heroes to win in victory beat those damn dirty nazis in soccer with the help of pele with the help of pele you got michael kane and they were cheating too right yeah michael kane who michael in kane, the bathroom yeah. at the end of the movie is like we can win this and what happens? They, yeah, they go out and they win. And then the crowd takes them out and they escape. It's kind of like an 80s great escape. Yes. Yes. So much. Exactly right. That's spot on. But I'm going to choose victory out of those three every time. Anytime we can beat the damn Nazis, I'm choosing that. I will say, though, Rambo has probably one of the best lines in 80s movies history. They Which do- is... Uh, they drew first blood. He's talking to Colonel Trout. Trout. Yeah. They drew first blood. They drew first blood. You know, in, in the novelization of that movie, he dies at the end. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, yeah. Or the the actually not novelization. The book. The movie's based on a book, so it's it's pretty sad. What's the worst sequel? Rambo three or Beverly Hills Cop three? <laughs> I'm going to say Beverly Hills Cop three, obviously, because it's the worst movie of all time. But Rambo 3, if you watch to the end through the credits, the producers of the movie think the brave warriors of the Mujahideen. And if you know who the Mujahideen are, they are the fighters that the CIA armed and trained in the 80s that turned into Al-Qaeda. Yes, yes. That is that is a point that a lot, a lot of people know. Yeah. That's a very excellent point. I remember um, my brother was a big Stallone fan back in the day. He was an older brother, and I remember – he bought the Soldier of Fortune magazine with Rambo on the cover. Nice. And I remember reading about that in that article. It was pretty amazing that that it was an actual like group that was that that part of the story was actually true. Like nothing else was, but those people really existed. Oh, absolutely! I'm sure there are plenty today that are very well employed. Best Kenny Loggins song in the '80s. And in, in the movie, 80s, in a movie, okay, in a movie, it's Caddyshack '80s. Uh, it's either '80 or '79. I'm I'm tempted to say it's 1980. So we've got that song. Um, I'm all right. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Is available. So we have stuff from Top Gun. We have Footloose. We have 
meet you halfway. I think he did Back to the Shack for Caddyshack too, which that movie is a billion times better. That song is a billion times better than the movie. So best Kenny Loggins song in an 80s movie. I think I'm going to go meet me halfway. I mean, that, that does bring a tear to my eye when I hear that. It's 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 beautiful. I mean, Danger Zone is great. Footloose is great. Don't Danger Zone wrong, is but, great, but the uh, playing with the boys Jesus. ruined <laughs> During the volleyball scene. Of- playing with the boys. A volleyball scene is basically, basically that's that's Cinemax. It is Red Shoe Diary Cinemax, but Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise have more sexual chemistry in that movie than Tom Cruise and his wife at the time, Nicole Kidman and Eyes Wide Shut. Which I liked, I like that movie. Did you see the I mean, Val documentary? I did. Yes, yeah, called great. Kilmer on uh, or Val yeah. Val on H on uh, Amazon. Yes. Yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed that. I mean, you really forget, like, what a great actor he was. He was a great actor, man. And he was a great comedic actor. He had all this stuff in the 80s. Um, Real uh, Genius. Real Genius. And the one where it's a spoof of spy movies. And I'm blanking on it right now. Um, he's an American rock singer. He goes over to Germany and becomes a spy. Uh, top Secret. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. great. He did He did good stuff. And then, you know, he did Serious. And did the Doors. I mean, he looked like Jim Morrison. Did the Doors, yeah. Yeah. He looked and sounded just like him. Right. Didn't he actually sing the songs? I don't know if he sang the songs or not, but uh, I don't like Jim Morrison or the Doors, and I hated that performance, and I hated that movie. Yeah, I went through I, my Doors like phase after that movie, and now I'm like, I can't listen to the Doors. There's only one Doors song that I like. So self-absorbed, and I've read some of his poetry. I just don't get it. I don't get him. I like the music. I just don't like Jim Morrison. Well, as we wrap up, if you could get one thing for Christmas this year, and I don't want to hear <laughs> time with my be self-absorbed. I want to hear the most self-absorbed, like just completely oblivious to anyone else. Okay. I want to hear what you want for Christmas. If it's going to cause you to get a divorce, then please don't. answer. (laughs) Hey, Sonny, don't listen to this. Um, No. So, okay. I play in a band. I play guitar, like guitars. I just recently got my dream guitar and it's a, Les Paul Standard and Ice T Burst. I got a 2022 model because Gibson is finally releasing really, really good guitars again. But I would choose a guitar, and it just came out. It is the Joe Bonamassa ES335 by Epiphone. It is super cool. It has the Gibson classic pickups in it. It is it's it's specked out really nice. Comes with a hard shell case. Very affordable. ES335s themselves run. $3,500 easy. And I'm not, I'm not going to spend that on a guitar. So I would spend the thousand bucks and get the Joe Bonamassa Epiphone ES335 1962 custom guitar. Well, that's not what I expected. It's not what, what I did expected. you expect? I what expected you, expect? you to want a DVD copy of Beverly Hills Top 3. <laughs> so here's so what over I the want. top. Over the top. I want I want Eddie Murphy and everybody from that movie to come to my house and reenact that movie live. Actually, for you, Jay, my Christmas wish for you is for Eddie Murphy 
Judd Reinhold, um, anybody else from those movies to come show up at your house and perform that movie in its entirety. Can I negotiate? Can I have them do trading places? No, because that's good. What are we going to do for the Ferris wheel scene? I, I, I mean, green screen something. I don't know. Pretend mime it. Pretend. I mean, no. you know, arrange your furniture, stack a couple couches, whatever you chairs, tables, whatever you got to do and have them just jump from that. Think you're onto something there. You're cooking with gas right now, Jason. I, right. I mean, what else is Eddie Murphy honestly doing right now? Tell me. He was supposed to be getting ready to do a stand-up tour. That was the big thing. Oh, Which I would pay money to go see that. But don't you think it's going to be watered? I don't. He's not the same comic he used to be. Well, but he's never done. He hasn't done stand-up since. Um, what was the second one? Raw. Eddie Murphy Raw. Raw. Yeah. Yeah. So he hasn't done stand-up since then. What I will say about I loved Delirious and Raw. The Bill Cosby stuff now really resonates how much of an asshole he was. Like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, I love that he ripped Bill Cosby. Talk about like a fall from grace. I mean, has any iconic actor fallen that hard with their reputation? I think Man. the only other one that would compete with that, but not even in entertainment in sports is Paterno. Oh, yeah. I think you're right, because Cosby was America's dad on the Cosby show, right? Like he was, I don't care what background you were from, ethnicity, anything else. Everybody loved Bill Cosby and the Cosby show. And I think you might be right. It's unless you murdered somebody like I don't. Yeah, man, I, I, I not off the top of my head. I think Cosby. You know, he did the kid stuff. He did the clean family stand up and he got on people like Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. Okay. And that's why Eddie Murphy said that there is a there is a podcast. Um, Gilbert Gottfried. OK, he's he, he passed away last year right. or the year before, but he did a podcast and he has I think it's Bob Einstein or Dave or Bob Einstein who did uh, Super Dave. Yes. Super Dave Osborne. Super Dave Osborne. And he was also. um the, who's the character he did on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, oh, I can see him. I can't remember off the top of my head either. I forget. I forget the name of the character. It's a funny last name. Yeah, he does this podcast with Gilbert Gottfried. I am telling you, it is the funniest thing you will ever hear. Really? Both those guys are dead. A story. He talks about a story with 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 Cosby. Oh boy, and. And he, oh, dude, he, I mean, it is so. It, What's it, it called? Um, Godfrey's podcast. You're making me put my glasses on so I can see my phone. I'm telling you right now, it is. So bring this back to Beverly Hills Cop. You know, Gilbert Godfrey wasn't the first one. Yeah, he was. He was the, um, oh, God, what character? He was the, he worked in the hotel, didn't he? He were, He was in a business office. Yeah, okay. In, I, they broke Gilbert in Godfrey's on- amazing colossal podcast. Got it. Got it. There it is. And I'm Got telling it. you right now. So I was at my friend's house and my friend lives on the Wisconsin border in Illinois. And it takes about 50 minutes to an hour to get there. So I was out there one night and he, um, he's like, you gotta hear this podcast. So I'm like, all right. So I'll listen to it on the way home. I put it on. And I was seriously tearing up 
when I was driving. It's the one with Dave Osborne on it because he has 744 episodes. Like he's like you. He just like spits these things out and there's a million of them. I'm telling you, it is so. He, okay, plays, Funk, he plays Funkhauser in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. Okay. I got it, man. I got to write it. I got, I got the stuff pulled up right here. I am going to check it out because screw Bill Cosby. Bob Einstein comes up with this quote that I will use as part of my, in my arsenal of things I say, man, that gave me the shit chills. (laughs) Uh, Beverly Hills cop three shit chills, dude. Shit chills. That's the greatest quote of all time. Cause that's not just chills. That's like shit chills. Cause normally that's not something you get when you're taking a shit. Right. Right. That means something's wrong. Something's bad. Yes. (laughs) Because <laughs> I don't, you, I don't think you'd use that in a positive context. No, no. Like I just listened to this new Jack's Hollow track, and it gave me this shit chills. That's not right. It's the opposite. And Jax, I apologize for Jason using that to describe no, one of your songs. I've it's, spoken to her so many times. She knows. I, I will talk to him after the show. We we love you, Jax. You know that. We I, I the first thing that came to my mind is like something good that you'd use that to describe incorrectly. Well, hey, man, it's been a blast. I've had a great conversation. Uh, it was fun. It was serious, and it came, came fun. We talked about over the top. I never thought we'd mention Beverly Hills Cop 3 in my podcast ever, but here we are. You brought and, it up. Uh, yeah. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me. It is great. I'm so glad um, we talked about my podcast. <laughs> What's, what were we promoting? Nothing <laughs> We're just talking, man. I love it. Well, that's what we did when you were on. But no, thank you for so much for having me on. Well, I will look uh, on. We will talk about yeah, Brian when Brian okay. comes on. It's not fair yes. to talk about the podcast. It's true. He's the one Brian who started comes. it. He's yes. the one who started it. I came in on episode thirteen right before Tyler Bryant. Yeah, first. so you're not even an original member, dude. What? Why even have me on? You have all these great guests, like have you're meaningful like, shit, like, and like you just get poor schlub on here. You're like, who's ever drumming for the Black Crows now? <laughs> or playing the keys or playing the other Dude, guitar, you are, guitars. You are, you're like, you're, you're John, you're John Karabi. I tell you, know what? Respect that dude is very talented. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, we'll have Brian on after the first of the year. Yep. Cause I've got, uh, got something I want to propose to you offline. Okay. That I'll do in the, uh, in the it's coming. Not nudes again, coming. right? What's that? It's not sending nudes again, right? Yeah, I don't really want you to send me any any pics anymore. <laughs> again, you know, you know, I don't ask for it, and you send them to me, and I just, it's just, I get uncomfortable for the rest of the day. You sound like my wife. Well, <laughs> I understand what she's going through. I understand her plight. But thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Uh, doing great things, and you got a real great group of podcast people on the Pantheon Network. So it's a pleasure. Awesome, man. Well, hey. Go check out All Things Blues and Southern Rock on every podcast platform. You will enjoy it. Uh, great uh, great guests, great discussions, lot, a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun on there when I did it back in August, September. And uh, just two really good guys. I like Brian more than Jason. But, Who uh, doesn't? <laughs> but no, we have Dorothy look- coming up this week, by the way. Dor- the awesome. great Dorothy. Awesome. Can't wait to hear that. All right, man. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We will talk soon. Thanks. In a lifetime made of memories, I
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 